Have you wondered about living elsewhere in your retirement? Well, we have almost daily. No, it's not a simple decision, especially when two people are involved. Hi, this is Gil and Jean of Retire There, a podcast about retirement destinations. We live in Brooklyn, New York, having grown up and worked in this area of the country. We're hoping to relocate when we're both retired. For us, it's the weather, the chaos, the noise, and the yearning to be near nature and not within three feet of human beings. <laughs> That's right. In February 2020, we embarked on our journey to find that special place. We spent a week in Winter Park, Florida, which is beautiful, but something said it wasn't for us. As we were planning for the next trip, the pandemic arrived. Jean then gave birth. I gave birth? To this podcast. With so many baby boomers retiring, many must be relocating. Why not connect with and learn from them? Here's a little background about us. I'm Asian, born in Brazil, and grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm an engineer turned attorney turned podcaster. I recently retired from a university career practicing higher education law. I love the academic environment, but it was time to do something else. I no longer have to set an alarm, drive in BQE traffic, or work with people who don't always share the same principles. Oh, did I just say that? <laughs> you bet I did. I traded all that in to binge crime dramas into the wee hours just a little bit to develop the podcast, to volunteer, practice metal smithing, tackle our possessions. No regrets so far, Jane. I'm not Asian. And as Gil mentioned, I'm not retired. I'm just plain tired. Born and raised in Long Island, New York, a place I always wanted to leave. I'm a law librarian working in a court who loves his job, but we're retired by the time we select our ideal location. We will be speaking to folks from across the street to across the globe who have moved to their dream venues and more. So please stay tuned. And remember, if you know anyone who has moved anywhere for retirement, let us know. Thank you. Hi, all. We have a special episode today. Russell Watson will tell us everything and anything about living in a manufactured home in Florida. First, let's tell you a little bit about our guests. Russ lives in the manufactured home community in Fort Pierce, Florida, with his wife, Elizabeth, and their cat, Misty. He retired in 2011 from a career in oceanography. The couple lived for many years in Mystic, Connecticut. But upon retirement, they purchased and moved to a used manufactured home in Florida. This began Russ's education in manufactured homes in Florida. He is now truly an expert in the field. He is an active advocate, educator, and consultant in manufactured housing. He has served the Federation of Manufactured Homeowners as a director at large and District 4 president. He is currently serving as Southeast Regional Vice President of the National Manufactured Home Owners Association and is a committee member of the Manufactured Housing Consensus Committee advising the Department of Housing and Urban Development. He works with several other state and national organizations, including the Florida Housing Coalition, Prosperity Now, and the Consumer Federation of America, advocating for manufactured homeowners. Like many, his first community choice was solely based on a relative living there. He wrote his first book, Retirement in Florida, Manufactured Homes and the Land Lease Option, to provide folks with a better framework for purchasing a manufactured home. Currently, he is building an educational network covering manufactured housing and their communities in Florida, which is primarily focused on retirees coming from out of state. In that regard, he creates content via a YouTube channel, a website, and other media. Russ's links will be in our show notes. His interests include advocacy, no surprise there, related to manufactured housing, building computers, software website development, videography, photography, FAA licensed drone pilot he is, writing, fishing, woodworking, cooking, cards and other games with friends in the clubhouse, and growing pineapples. Hmm, now that is yeah, super apparently interesting. Cooks pineapples. I want to hear about that. Oh, man. He and Elizabeth recently celebrated their 32nd wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. So hi, Russ. Welcome to Retire There. And thanks for sharing your knowledge and enthusiasm 
about manufactured homes and their communities. When I hear about a manufactured home, I envision sometimes a shipping container or tiny homes, but I believe you'll be discussing other structures. So if you wouldn't mind, let's start with what is a manufactured home? Okay, good morning. Manufactured homes, by definition, started in June of 1976 when HUD was granted authorization by Congress to oversee the building of manufactured housing across the state. Prior to that, they were mobile homes, an industry that developed right after World War II. During the war, the country saw a need for itinerant housing at quickly put together bases at manufacturing sites and so on. The mobile trailer industry, if you will, got together and started building small towable site housing. And that was used during the war. After the war, uh, this became the mobile home industry. Uh, You probably remember the Lucy movie uh, in the 50s where they tow the big mobile home around the country. (laughs) Yes, Uh, yes. So those were mobile homes, and they were large but typically easily movable. Toward the 60s, these started being built as not only single-wide units, uh, which were easily towed, but double-wide units, which were brought on site, assembled, and were relatively permanent. By the 1970s, it was realized there was no real good building code. In fact, every manufacturer built them any way they wanted. And a lot of localities said, wow, you know, you really can't live here. We're not going to give you a certificate of occupancy because you don't meet our building codes. And so HUD was given the task of putting together the building code for manufactured housing and overseeing it across the country. Since these homes are quite often shipped from one state to another, it made sense to do this on a federal level. So a manufactured house to give you the short story, is a home built on a chassis, movable, built to the CUD code, then installed on a site anywhere in the country. It's fascinating. I like that history. So rather than being able to move it around, you can lift the whole thing if you wanted to, to take it to another state, let's say, right? Or no? Yes. Some units are still built that way, but the vast majority come on a frame. They are installed on your site. The axles, the wheels, the, even the tow bar assembly are actually taken off the unit and brought back to the plant for use on another unit. Ah. Oh. So oh. movers can come in, and there are companies that specialize in this. They can reinstall the axles, the wheels, and so on, install the front. But that's on a single-wide unit. On a double-wide unit, you have to take the two apart, uh, not an easy task, and then put each on wheels and axles and so on and move them. They're not as movable as they once were. Uh, And that's changed a lot as to how the industry uh, has developed. Are any of them built on foundations? You can put a manufactured home on a foundation. Up north, they're very commonly put on concrete slabs because of frost heave and so on. Uh, They don't settle as much. In Florida, they're mostly put on block, Mm. although some are actually raised up in the air on piers to avoid flooding. Uh, But mostly down here where they're on um, block assemblies and they are are subject to a little settling. And so it's recommended that you have your home re-leveled where they come in and kind of jack up things until all the floor is level again and and adjust the block slightly every five, 10 years, something like that. Interesting. Okay. All right. I have a question from, from one of our listeners named Terry, and she listened to one of our shows where A couple had moved to Venice, Florida in a manufactured home park. So she wrote, the couple who retired part-time to Venice, Florida, mentioned that their price of their park model home, but they did not provide any information regarding the amount of their lot rent, which from my research can be substantial, so substantial that it offsets benefits of a low price park model. What do you have to say about that? Well, I can tell you lot rents in Florida in the resort communities or retirement communities that most folks think about. And that's something with a, a clubhouse, a pool, and and a community of like-minded retirees. Run from 500 a month on the low side. Below that, you can find a few bargains. 750 is probably a month is probably an average of, of a fairly good park. Many, many are in the eight to nine hundred range, and in places like Venice, uh, where it's a very expensive place to live in the first place, Vero Beach is another one. Uh, quite a few of them. 
are as much as a thousand. And I have seen one recently that was 1600 a month for lot rent. Wow. Uh, so in some ways, yes, that does offset the savings from a low end home. You need to be in a certain financial situation to where this makes more sense for you than other forms of housing. But with over 500,000 homes currently occupied in Florida and hundreds of parks at 95 to 98% capacity, homes selling like crazy, I suspect there are an awful lot of people out there in that situation. Can you talk to us about the homeowner's insurance? Is We read that it's higher on manufactured homes, but not sure what the reason is behind that? Sure. Insurability in Florida revolves around a number of things. First is obviously the value of the home. What are you insuring it for? Uh, then where is it? Uh, and primarily that's how close to a beach or a flood zone are you? Beaches being hurricane concern. Believe it or not, most people would think the biggest hurricane uh, threat here is in Miami, but that's not true. The biggest threat to hurricane is up in the panhandle. Those homes are the most often hit. Okay. So it's an area thing. In manufactured housing, there are some very significant years in the build of a manufactured home. I mentioned 1976. So before 1976, these structures are called mobile homes and were built to whatever the manufacturer wanted. One manufacturer might have made something that would withstand 100 mile an hour winds mm. and was of extraordinarily high quality. Another manufacturer might have used cardboard. There was no regulation. So both could have been sold on the market. So the insurability of pre-76 homes is difficult. Uh, it was non-existent until recently. It's certainly expensive. Between 76 and Hurricane Andrew in 1992, homes were built to a standard design for 80 mile an hour sustained winds. Wow. Wow. Hurricane Andrew came along and devastated some communities, uh, manufactured housing communities, as well as others, obviously, in that area. And HUD re-looked at the standard. Okay. In 1994, they changed the standard to three-tiered wind zone standard. Homes thereafter are made for 100 or 110 mile an hour wind, sustained winds, depending on the area. So their insurability is less. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry, the insurability is more, the expense is less, right. cost right. is less. So you have that factor of the year. So you have the location, the year, and then there's replacement cost versus actual value. So a lot of people buy homes down here for sixty, eighty, ninety thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. Beautiful homes in the ninety-four, ninety-six, ninety-eight, two thousand series of manufacturers. They go to insure them. Well, to insure them at replacement cost means 10 years down the road, that home could be 200000 So insurance for replacement cost is much more than insurance for value. Conversely, if you insure it for just present value, 10 years down the road, that home could be worth 30000 You get hit by a hurricane and you've got nowhere to go and no money to do it. Yeah. Uh, so those are the factors that affect it. But insurance on homes in Florida in general is pretty high. And the survivability of homes in, in 2005, 2006 hurricanes was shown to be equal or better by 1994 or later manufactured homes than site-built homes. Wow. So for insurance purposes, they're probably equal. Well, that's so interesting. The couple we had in the show that named Cynthia and Winston Hovey, they purchased what they call a park model in Venice, Florida. They paid 24000 and it was fully furnished. They liked the place because it had lots of trees and pool and hot tub and, and a community center. But what, what's a park model? Okay. HUD's minimum size for manufactured housing is around 460 square feet or so. So park models come under that, typically they're smaller wow, and they're not really governed small. by HUD code. They're in fact, ah. they're in fact more of an RV type of home. In most states, you can only live in a park model for six months out of the year. That's changing as affordable housing is becoming almost impossible to find. Many, many localities are now allowing you to stay in park models. But whereas a HUD code home uh, might have a minimum R insulation rating of R13, a park model might have R5, might not have any. It's designed oh, wow. for seasonal living. Uh, yeah, well, well, they only live there part time, yeah. Oh, right. Totally. And it's mm -hmm. and it, they're typically very small, more on the tiny home kind of thing. Mm -hmm. They're found in a lot of RV communities down here. They're not found in many manufactured home communities. You see a lot of them down in Key West now. In fact, uh, a 
community that was a manufactured home community down there is redoing itself with all park models uh, because they take up a smaller footprint so you can get more out of your acre of land in terms of lot rent. They're very attractive to folks who kind of want a cabin type of feel. Oh, that's interesting because they showed us some photos and it looked really nice. And the surrounding area, of course, was what drew them to the area. There were these tall, big trees. And, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think of that as with with a home that small built in something like that. I mean, we've seen a lot of tiny homes shows and they're so appealing and they're they're getting to be so more efficiently designed and just really modern and attractive. I wonder if people are looking, how much design can get involved in one of these homes? Like, let's say I wanted a mid-century design with certain type of flooring and let's say three bedrooms and so forth. Would that be something that's out of the norm? Not at all. In fact, manufactured homes today, if you're buying new in, in, in this generation, can be built to almost anything. Uh, and that's that's commonly something we talk about at HUD uh, in the in the building code is various little things that might prevent a home from being competitive or from features that customers are asking for. Uh, everything from barn doors on the, on the bathrooms, for example. Was oh recent. yeah, yeah, those sliding barn. Yeah, that, that was a recent topic. No, there are there are multi level manufactured homes, L shaped manufactured homes. You can get almost anything you want in a manufactured home. And frankly, I've been on several tours. One in Nashville comes to mind where we were brought through a home community of homes and asked if we could identify the manufactured homes in the community because they were mixed in. Almost oh. no one could. Oh, wow. That's wow. Great. That's kind of tricky. <laughs> Very nice. Wow. Okay. Yeah, today's manufactured homes are, are drop dead gorgeous, highly efficient, can be had in Energy Star configurations, giving you more efficiency than a site-built home will offer, and in almost any configuration uh, or feature you can imagine. Mm. So I know that um, the most popular type of community is a land lease type. Can you tell us what a land lease is and also the other types of um, communities that that there are? Sure. Although um, I would say there are more of them land lease. Mm -hmm. I would not necessarily call them the most popular. A poll I just did on my site, asked the question, which are you most interested in? And I said, land lease, resident-owned manufactured co-op, a manufactured home on your own land, manufactured home on a in a subdivision with an HOA, or condominium manufactured home community. And 46% said co-op community, only 13% said land lease community. So in terms of among today's retirees' popularity, there's a lot of interest in resident-owned communities. When you say resident-owned, that means they own the land? That's correct. Let me answer your question on land lease first. How does a land lease work? In a land lease community, the community owner owns the property the community sits on, including the lots upon which the homes sit, the common ground, community center, typically a swimming pool, uh, tennis courts, might be a golf course, might be a uh, dog park. There's all sorts of features. Pickleball? Pickleball, absolutely. <laughs> in fact, almost every tennis court in. in the state has been repainted to allow for pickleball or tennis court play. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. That must get so confusing. <laughs> and, and in one luxury community nearby, they built brand new courts. They didn't build tennis courts. They built pickleball courts. Wow. Interesting. Getting extremely yeah. popular. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So- The owner owns all the land. The owner owns the facilities. The owner manages the the community, uh, maintains the community, maintains the roads, maintains the clubhouse, and you lease the lot upon which your home is in. Now, within that lease price might be included any number of things, lawn mowing, water, sewerage, or it might just be a lease for the land with everything else extra. Some communities have uh, cable TV included. Some include almost everything, some nothing. You also are generally paying the property tax on all of that property. And here's a conundrum for you. If you go buy a car, do they tell you anything about paying the property tax on the dealership? No. <laughs> do you think you pay the property tax on the dealership when you buy that car? Absolutely. Wow. You pay all the dealer's expenses. Yeah. But in manufactured housing communities, it's often broken out as a separate item. And people say to me, why should I pay their property tax? Not understanding that it's simply another cost 
of the overall cost of running the community. Also, let me just jump. So you don't pay a separate property tax when you have a manufactured home in a land lease community? Not in the state of Florida. In the state of Florida, that was brought to the Supreme Court a number of years ago. And the ultimate decision was that your home was to be treated as a motor vehicle. So what? even if you have a triple wide manufactured home with a second floor a fireplace, it's a motor vehicle. And for each section, you will annually get a motor vehicle decal, just like you owned a trailer. Wow. It's kind of odd, but that's the way it is. And (laughs) I think they're all about $90 a section annually. A number of people have said to me, well, I'd much rather have property tax until we sit down and, and add it up. Yeah. A gal I know in a, in a local community here uh, did that with me, and her property tax would have come out to 390 a month on the value of her home, mm-hmm. but her stickers came out to 168 She said, mm, maybe I'll take the stickers. <laughs> wow. That's okay. interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Go on. Basically, that's it. You pay a monthly lot rent mm-hmm. fee. You own the home. Your purchase price on the home is less, your capital investment, because you're not buying the land. And that's essentially the premise uh, of the deal. And what about the co-op? Okay, so back to a little history. So following the war, what were mobile home parks and travel trailer parks in communities in Florida that welcomed out-of-state folks coming down in the hopes of getting some of their money started turning into mobile home parks where a farmer might take 20 acres of his land or somebody in the city might, not in the city so often, but just outside the city, mm-hmm. would buy 20 acres. they devvy it up into lots and start renting it out to folks with mobile homes. In the 60s, that was done on a month-by-month basis. If you made the owner mad, he just said, well, here's your 30 days notice and No matter how hard it was, you had to pick up your home and leave. Conversely, you could give him 30 days notice and pick up your home and leave. In the 70s, some regulations started coming into the state to protect folks because it was recognized that when you invested in a home and put it on someone else's land, it was not so easy to move. There ought to be some obligations. In the 80s, uh, these communities became very popular and the homes became very much less mobile. Uh, Double wides were the norm and you bought and sold your home. As investors started buying these parks from mom and pops, people within the community started saying, wow, we're not so happy with these lot rent increases, and we really have no control over the future of our park. At the same time, the urban areas that were surrounded by these parks expanded, and land value went up, and a lot of communities were closed and sold off for condominium development, single home community development, and it is the owner's right Uh, as the owner of the land with certain notice and so forth to this day to sell it for other uses. So one of the risks you run in a land lease mobile home park, less so in some than others, is the possibility that the park will be sold and you will have to take your belongings, including your home, and leave. And that is a small concern in Florida, but a concern. It was a much bigger concern years ago. Facing these concerns, residents in many parks said, we want to buy our park. And they banded together, put up a down payment, and bought the park from the owner. Conversely, a lot of mom and pop owners who often lived in the park and grew to love and know their residents felt an obligation to these folks and said, we want to sell the park. We want to retire. We want to take our money and go off to Tahiti or wherever we want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but we owe you folks something. You've, you've provided us with our livelihood for 20 years or more. So we would like to sell you the park. So one form of doing this was a co-op. So residents would band together. They would buy the park. Quite often, the park was never divided legally into lots. It wasn't required. When you bought the park, you have two choices. To make it into a condominium or a subdivision, you have to have all these lots plotted and deeded and Mm -hmm. titled and so on. Very expensive process. Or you could buy the park as as a co-op, form a co-op corporation, and each resident would get a share in the co-op and a 99-year deed to the lot their home is on. And that's the way most co-ops in Florida are set up today. Does it also follow the other rules of interviewing the potential buyer and making sure that they fit a certain mold or, you know, someone that's less riskier? Oh, like regular co-op. Yeah. I'm just thinking the nightmares of a co-op. Actually, they are 
regular co-ops. We only have one co-op ah. law in Florida, and it mm-hmm. applies to a co-op, whether it's an apartment building, a condo-type building, ah. a yacht club, or a mobile home co-op. Okay. Uh, and so we have a whole set of rules for co-ops, a whole set of rules for condominiums, and another whole set of rules for HOAs and subdivisions. Wow. None of which, by the way, allow you to discriminate in any fashion mm-hmm. of course. other than 55 plus, which is a federal law. Mm-hmm. Now that you talk about 55 plus, our listener, Terry, she likes to know the particulars of 55 plus manufactured home communities. Okay. And, and it's not just manufactured home communities. There are hundreds of 55 plus HOA subdivisions in Florida. 55 plus is seen around the country. So that was developed by HUD. Under the Housing for Older People's Act, HUD recognized that these communities, which had long discriminated against younger folks in the interest of bringing older folks who had common interests together, they recognized some value in that. And so they passed essentially an exception to their housing laws, which prevented discrimination, that allows a community with 80% or more of its units designated and owned by at least one person, 55 plus, to declare itself as a 55 plus community. So 80% have to be 55 plus residents. The other 20%, it's up to the community owner or operator. So you can have young people in these communities. Oh, wow. That's different from many of the um, communities that we've heard about. And there's the 55 plus active, right? The word active does that change the model? Uh, no, that's a marketing word. <laughs> oh, okay. Good that's, to know. That's a marketing term. <laughs> um, yeah. There are, there are a lot of marketing terms out there. You know, active living, active yeah. lifestyle. There's, there's quite a few of them. But the, okay. the only legal definition is under HUD of 55 plus. And that can be anything, a condominium development, okay. uh, mm-hmm. any, anything. Yeah. Go so ahead. any one of these uh, 55 plus communities permit younger folks? Because I thought it was, I know it can, but I guess the practice isn't the case. They can, and it's very widespread. In fact, I had a commenter on my YouTube channel just yesterday say to me, you know, I went and looked at this very large community on the West Coast of Florida, and it was 55 plus, I'm 41 years old. They wouldn't even talk to me, hung up the phone. Wow. Mm -hmm. He said, I went to another nearby community, about 500 homes, about a quarter of the size of that one, owned by the same owner. Oh. And they welcomed me with open arms. <laughs> wow. He said, wow. how come? Cost. And are they all different? And the answer is yes, they're all different. One common thing is community that is selling new homes. So they have some empty lots and they want to sell new homes and they're 55 plus. And you come in at age 45, say, I want to buy a new home. Well, they want to sell you that home <laughs> and they have that 20% exemption. Mm-hmm. That's where they're going to put it is in selling you and selling people new homes. Sure. Now you come in and say, I want to buy that $12,000 1986 model that you'd probably rather get rid of in this community and you're 40 years old. They're probably going to say, no, we're a 55 plus community. And um, we fulfilled our exemption already, right? Yeah. 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 Well, or or just there's no requirement for them to to do it. They have the legal right to discriminate against you because you're not 55 plus. Right, right. Okay. And, and in these 55 plus communities, does the owner of the community, do they get a break on taxes because uh, there aren't too many kids and none or not too many kids going to school there on real estate taxes? That's on, on a community by community basis since oh. the tax structure for every community is different. I know in one community I was in, they got a break because they weren't bringing in kids. So what they got a break on was a tax on a new home installation that was a one-time charge for you adding a home within the school district. They were exempt from that. Their property taxes still paid a fair share of the school costs for that community, and those property taxes were divided among the people in the community. Also know that every community has a secondary rule, or at least almost every community. If they're 55 plus, you'll find within either their deed restrictions, their co-op documents or their prospectus in a land lease community, a minimum age for people in the community. In some communities, it's 18, and that's mm-hmm. meant to, as you say, ensure that there are no school children. In some communities, it's 35, 40. That's very common. And that's meant to keep the basic group in the community to something that 55 plus folks would find attractive. 
uh, not have a lot of young people racing around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. In some, it's it's literally 55 plus. That's what we do. That's the end. Okay. All right. I have a question back to the fees, the, the, the lease option. Back to the lease option. Is there an HOA fee charged above that, above the lease? In a land lease community, HOAs are optional. They serve as the representative of all of the residents in the community to the park owner. Uh, the legal representative. They were authorized under the 1984 Manufactured Home Act. They typically charge anywhere from free to, I think I've seen as much as maybe $35 a year. So it's a very nominal fee Uh, to join the HOA. Wow. They don't own the land. They don't provide swimming pools. They don't have any maintenance costs and so on. In a co-op community, the HOA fee and in a HOA residential community and the other three resident owned, there are no lot rents per se. Instead, you're paying an HOA fee and that is your share of the overhead costs in the community. Now, one important distinction is in a co-op, you do not own your individual lot. You own a share in the community. Right. In a, right. In a subdivision or a condominium community, you own your lot. You actually own the lot your home sits on. Co-op communities still have the risk that they can be sold to an investment corporation, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. a number of them in Florida have. If a majority of the folks who own a share of the co-op say, you know, they want to give us a hundred grand a piece for this place. We only paid twenty-five grand a piece for the share. We're out of here. Right. The whole community is sold, becomes a land lease community again, and you're back to square one. That will not happen where you own the lot. Okay. All right. That's because we, we read that, you know, the private equity firms from out of state are purchasing these manufactured home parks. And right. so is that a pretty popular model now? I mean, these investors are looking into everything, right? That they can make I money would out. Guess, I would guess in Florida right now, roughly 80% of the major size land lease parks are already owned by investment corporations. Mm. Wow. Um, wow. That's high. Co-ops. There are about 270 co-ops in Florida right now, by my guess. I know of maybe half a dozen that have sold back to become land lease communities. There probably are more because it's it's not something that's commonly talked about, but it is happening. Okay. The allure of money has driven the prices of these parks to phenomenal rates. Another interesting fact is that there are almost no new manufactured home communities being built across the country, nor have there been since around 2000. Almost none. In Florida, I think since maybe 2010, there's three, four at most. Is that because of the high price of land? Nope. That's because of them dang kids. And I'll tell you why. (laughs) Because a community looks at a piece of property and looks at zoning and looks at what kind of income it can get versus its costs for that property. Manufactured housing is a high density use of property and it's a relatively low tax producer because the homes aren't taxed, but just the property is. And the property is taxed at a pretty low level. So when a community looks at parcel of land that could hold 500 manufactured homes, or it could hold maybe a hundred homes at Three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars a home, and it looks at its tax revenue. In the first place, the single site, or even better, condominium tax revenue, will be far greater. But even worse, the costs. So the average school cost might be eight thousand dollars a child. When you take those five hundred homes and you figure it's a family community, figure even one child per home. Mm-hmm. That's eight thousand times five hundred is a whole bunch of money. And it's about a tenth of what they're going to get in taxes. So the community is is going to incur huge costs. So family-built communities are very difficult uh, to get zoned anywhere in the country. If you're looking at 55 plus, it's a little bit easier, but the same basic formula applies. If they can get taxes from any other form that's going to create a much larger tax revenue, they will. That movement is really being attacked today by the proponents of manufactured housing for affordable housing in communities because there's very little due to gentrification. Most major metropolitan areas have very little affordable housing. Uh, And what's there is being built as apartments, which are still very expensive. Uh, So we're starting to see some swing back to where 55 plus communities will be allowed to be built. And there are a few around the country being built, but very, very few. Hmm. Can you tell us the difference between a manufactured home and a modular home? Sure. 
The manufactured home comes on a metal chassis. It is towed in sections on that chassis to the site. It is assembled on some form of usually temporary foundation, but it could be a concrete slab, could be blocks. Mm -hmm. It's normally elevated 18 to 24 inches because much of the plumbing and perhaps the electrical and even air conditioning ducts may be underneath and need servicing. A modular home is built in a factory, as is a manufactured home, but it's built in sections. It's brought to the site on a truck and it's assembled on a permanent foundation at the site. It's never designed to be taken apart or moved. Oh, okay. 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 All right. Good to know. I wanted to ask how, I don't know what the percentage of this is, but let's say Gene and I wanted to buy land in a very remote area, which I'm sure many people do anyway, and kind of want to go off the grid a little bit. Would it be costly for us to look into purchasing a manufactured home? Not at all. In fact, that's a very uh, common use of manufactured housing. There's quite a bit of that in Florida. We see it a lot in agricultural areas where a farmer will take um, 10 acres and put some very nice single wide homes on and use for worker housing. An awful lot of people want to do that. And there's a lot of interest around the country in that Mm. because the home price is 30 to 50 percent of what you will pay for a site built home. People like Clayton Homes, Cavco, These are the people they are selling to. Mm. Uh, And the only thing that stops them from selling in everyday subdivisions around the country are outdated zoning laws. And there is a a big push by the Manufactured Housing Institute, MHI, to get these laws updated. There are some folks at HUD who are pushing to say that HUD should flex its muscles because it has a mandate to oversee manufactured housing across the country. Mm -hmm. And there are some who say it could basically tell communities, you have to allow this zoning in there. Wow. Uh, But you'll save a ton of money and get an equally well-built home by putting a manufactured Mm -hmm. home on private Mm -hmm. land. But I guess the cost would come in for like the sewage lines and all that other stuff, right? Because I don't want a compost toilet. Absolutely. (laughs) No offense. Aren't you going to run those in for your site-built home? No different. The site prep is, is almost the same. The only difference being in cost that you don't need to have a permanent foundation put in. Up north, you need a frost-free foundation put in, Ah. uh, which is expensive, Mm -hmm. uh, but so is a conventional foundation. Uh, You can put them on a full foundation basement if you want. Mm -hmm. You can put them on a raised foundation if you want. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's really no difference other than the per square foot cost for a manufactured home is going to be considerably less. That's so interesting. Yeah, Yeah, I'm wondering if you would happen to know are foreign international countries, are they doing stuff like this? Would you Absolutely. To Manufactured homes are very popular in Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sun Communities, one of the largest owners in our country, yeah. uh, has a partnership deal in Australia where they're building uh, communities. Uh, so, yes, indeed, they are pretty popular. Oh, good to know. Oh, wow. Russ, could you tell us the names of some nice parks which don't have a terribly high lease fee? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Inside info, man. I thought I was going to say that. And and I'll say, and and I'll explain myself. Mm -hmm. I don't recommend individual parks Mm -hmm. because because of this. Could you tell me a home that's perfect for everyone? Nope, not a bit. Can you tell me a a retirement city that is perfect for every retiree? No. No. Even when you pick your top five best retiree cities, Mm -hmm. you have to say best for what? Do you want culture? Right. Do you want a beach? Mm -hmm. Do you want affordability? Yeah, do you yeah. want affability? Do you want crime statistics? Yeah. Do you want yeah. to be near a city? Mm-hmm. So I could pick five communities I like, but they wouldn't be the top five best communities for you because right. that's why I wrote my book. <laughs> because there are so many factors you have to look at in your right. retirement dream yeah. and factor them in. Right. Uh, the fact that communities that sell homes at 150 to 300,000 and have lot rents that run in the 900 to 1200 range are 96 to 98% full. As are communities that sell homes for 12 to 30,000 circa 1980s and have lot rents of five and 600 a month, 98% full. Wow. Wow. There is a place in manufactured housing communities for everyone who has that dream for whom they fit financially. Yeah. If you have a million dollars in your pocket and a monthly income of 30,000 a year, 
You may find a nice, affordable, manufactured home community that really fits your needs, but you don't have to. Right. And you might easily find a much more upscale community with site-built housing that's a better investment for you in terms mm-hmm. of equity. But if you have another poll I did of my readers was how much annual income do you expect to have in retirement? Now, folks who follow my manufactured housing stuff are generally going to be folks interested in this kind of community because they fall into a certain financial range. Mm-hmm. But I found it fascinating. The vast majority said they expected to have an, a retirement income between 1500 and 4500 a month, with 1500 to 3000 being very dominant. Wow. You can afford a manufactured housing community on that. I also asked them how much they had set aside for a home. The vast majority had under 75,000. Oh, wow. Hmm. So sure, if you've got 400 grand set aside for a home or you're willing to take a 400 grand mortgage, which a lot of people in retirement want to get away from. Of course. And HOA fees and utility expenses that are a thousand a month. There are a lot of Dr. Horton uh, communities out there and and so on that will more than fit your needs. Mm -hmm. Beautiful homes. Some are cookie cutter, some are not, but mm-hmm. some manufactured home communities are cookie cutter and some right. are not. But if, if you're of a fairly substantial income versus single social security, mm-hmm. if you're in the 3000 4000 a month income, using HUD's formula of 30%, you can afford about 1000 a month for housing. So if your lot rent is 700 and utilities are 300, there you are. Now you can buy a home in that community, a really nice home for 60 to 120,000. Wow. Now you've got another three or 400,000 out of your nest egg that you can spend on a second home if you want, back up north that maybe you downsize so you can go visit the grandkids one season, come down here another, or maybe you want to do retirement, or maybe you just want to tuck that money away into uh, investment funds and have a little more income. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of reasons and a lot of different choices in manufactured housing communities so no, I can't recommend any one community for you. Okay. Yeah, that's the perfect answer. Okay. Would you say that the one of the big reasons that people like these manufactured home communities is the social aspect that that easy to meet people? Absolutely. In fact, I would say if you have no social interest, no interest in a swimming pool, a clubhouse, don't care about bocce or cards, don't really like people, mm-hmm. buy a manufactured home on your own land. Go buy yourself an acre or two of land, put a manufactured home on it, and call it good, you will be happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to meet more people in three months, then you can remember their names. (laughs) If you want to have folks to play with for the rest of your life, if you want to never run out of things to do, in fact, your biggest problem is going to be choosing which one to do, come to one of our communities because that's what they're all about. That was great. That was great. (laughs) Well, on that note, how did you guys pick uh, Fort Pierce? Will you share that with us? Sure. We made the classic mistake that I see. And one of the big reasons I wrote my book, Mm -hmm. my dad lived in a manufactured housing community in Sebastian, Florida. We came to visit on vacations. Nice place. Nice house. Only stayed a couple of days. They had a beautiful looking clubhouse. Nice pool. Said, dad, how do you like it? Love it here. So when we went to retire, we said, wow, we're going to buy us a nice Florida home on a in a nice community with a screened in swimming pool and pretty much what you see in most ads that say your ideal Florida retirement home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dad said, what are you nuts? You should come to my community. You'll spend a third of the price on a home. He said, you can buy a home here for next to nothing. He said, the lot rent's not bad and the people, there's all kind of things to do. Beautiful clubhouse, city's a great place to live. Okay. So we went down, looked around for a couple of days, said, all right, we'll buy that one (laughs) and moved in. (laughs) I found out about nine months later that dad had a lifetime lot agreement for about half of what I was paying. Wow. But what I was paying still wasn't bad at the time. Mm -hmm. Sure. So we said, okay, we were going to be snowbirds. And then about a year later, we decided to move down full time. So we still liked the community. Didn't really know a lot of people there. We'd met a lot of people, but we'd only spent a few months and gone back to Mystic. So we bought a bigger home in the community. The lot rent went up. A big corporation came in and bought that community. The lot rent went way up. When I went to, I was asked to run on the board of directors, run for the board of directors of the homeowners association. And I I mentioned that to dad. He said, what are you nuts? You don't want to get involved with the people here. I said, wait a minute. You told me it's a great place to live. (laughs) He said, oh yeah, it is. He said, but you want to stick to yourself. 
Well, I didn't take his advice. Got elected to the Homeowners Association, became president, got very involved in the community. I love to cook, so I did a lot of dinners for 100 Thanksgiving dinners. I used to put on Easter dinner for about 125 with one partner. It was a lot of fun. And I got to know what community living was like. When the lot rents got too high, I moved (laughs) to another manufacturer home community (laughs) in Fort Pierce, where I live today. um, And I love it. Okay. Okay. And what would you say the difference is between the two places? First, the lot rent. Mm -hmm. Second, the owner. Uh, The park that I live in is still owned by a family um, now on their second generation that own three manufactured home communities. So it's still a mom and pop run community Mm, and hopefully will stay that way for many, many years. Yeah. Community living wise, I'd say it's about the same. We we have a, a lot of activities here. They have a lot of activities there. I think those those are the big differences. Hmm. Well, that makes a huge difference. Yeah. And actually, I like Fort Pierce better than Sebastian, but that's my own personal choice. Mm -hmm. I think it's more eclectic. They have a lot more restaurants, uh, a lot more to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a little easier travel wise. You can jump right on I-95 here. You can jump right on the Florida Turnpike. You've got Melbourne to the north. You've got St. Lucie County to the south, Mm -hmm. Vero Beach just to the north. So all of the top retirement communities in the area are right around us. So we have all the benefits, but we're tucked away. Uh, I'm out where the nearest neighbors are cows. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I, I have a related question. These 55 plus communities, when they're designing them, and I know you said there aren't many around now, is there, a, I'm, I'm assuming there's a thought behind having them situated near the medical facilities or make, I guess the communities make themselves, you know, friendly to the residents for medical care needs. Nope, not at all. Okay. Most 55, (laughs) most 55 plus communities, most manufactured home communities in Florida started out as mobile home parks and were situated in the suburbs and undesirable sections of town. Ah, You'll find a lot of them next to airports, sewage treatment plants, in industrial areas, and like the one I live in, out way out in the farmland where land was cheap. Ah. Okay. Okay. However, what's happened is in most metropolitan areas, the areas spread out and overwhelm them. So there are now many in downtown areas or in highly metro areas yeah. that have nearby medical facilities. I'm only 30 minutes from major hospitals here. Mm -hmm, Uh, So mm -hmm. one of the things I stress in choosing a community is your medical needs and pick one where you are close. One of the nicest communities that I personally like has its own golf course, is very affordable, is out in the middle of nowhere. It's about 45 minutes to any medical care. So great community. But if you had a a lot of medical needs, not one for you. So something you should think about. Yeah. The metro communities have a, a different problem. A lot of them were overrun by by cities. And that's why the property was bought up and turned into apartment buildings, condos, uh, home depots, etc. So looking at manufactured home communities that are in metro areas, you really need to look at the surrounding land value and put a jaundice eye to whether or not this is going to be a manufactured home community 10 years from now. Right. right. Now, how far are you to the um, nearest airport? How far? <laughs> Where's the nearest airport for you? Because I assume you do a fair amount of traveling with all the associations and work you do. Uh, Pre-COVID, I certainly did. Yeah, sure, sure. And I used to travel a lot. From Fort Pierce, the nearest, we have an airport in Fort Pierce, but it's uh, essentially a business jet airport. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Vero Beach, about 40 minutes away, has a small airport with some carriers. Melbourne, about 45 minutes, maybe an hour away, has a major airport that has... American Delta major oh. carriers. Okay, so West Palm bad. Beach to the south is a very major airport, yeah, almost yeah. any carrier you want. And if you want nonstop flights, you're typically going to go to Orlando, which is maybe an hour and 15 minutes from here. Okay. So you're pretty centrally located. I, I mean, even right. though there's cows in your yard. and uh, <laughs> and But for your own, you and Elizabeth, your primary care physicians and all that, is is that a long drive? About 30 minutes to Vero Beach uh, for most of our, our, our oh. care. There's a, uh, in fact, I just just photoed it for my upcoming video on Vero Beach. Mm-hmm. There's a, a major Cleveland Clinic hospital facility yep. with, Great. oh my God, probably a hundred surrounding clinics of every sort you can imagine wow. uh, mm-hmm. on 37th Great. Street in Vero Beach, about 30 minutes away. 
That's great. We also have a, a fairly large hospital in Fort Pierce, large number of emergency care facilities within 15 minutes of the house or less. Okay. So you definitely need a car. Yeah. Although I mean, we're serviced by ambulance and fire facilities as are many communities, but not all. It's, mm-hmm. it's definitely a consideration to look at. Yeah, absolutely. As, as we close things up, I just have a, a question. You say you love to, to grow pineapples and you also cook pineapples. How do you cook those pineapples? Right. I have a section on my website devoted to growing and cooking <laughs> pineapples. Wow. I like it so much. <laughs> my favorite way to cook pineapples is cut them into wedges Cut the little piece of core out and put them on the grill. Oh, ah. yummy. And you, you don't put see, anything on them? No, you, you could put a, like a brown sugar a glaze or something just yeah. like ham. But I grill ham steaks and grilled pineapple wedges. And you oh, can wow. see pictures so of that on my website. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because I never understood really the Asian dishes that put pineapple in. I mean, my mom didn't u- use them, but whenever I have, let's say a Chinese meal and I see pineapples in them, I'm like, wait a minute, isn't that for after or before? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, one of my fondest memories of, of Chinese restaurants is growing up in Auburn, Massachusetts. That was a big thing when you were a teenager because you could go to a Chinese restaurant for not a lot of money and take your girlfriend. Hmm. And they always serve pineapple afterwards. Yeah, and I always yeah. wondered why till I found out as an adult, it settles your stomach. I didn't know that. Oh, ah. good to know. <laughs> it is good to know. But the other thing I do with pineapples is I freeze them. Uh, so you can cut them into wedges, uh, put them on a baking sheet and freeze them and then throw the wedges. And they're absolutely perfect to cut up and put in stir fry, just like fresh. Just like ah. fresh. Oh, wow. That's wow. good to know. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Russ, have we left anything out? Um, is there anything that you think we should have covered and didn't? Well, the only thing I can say is that manufactured housing in Florida is different than manufactured housing in almost all of the rest of the country, with the exception, perhaps, of Arizona. Hmm. And the reason is most of these communities in Florida built in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, in the 80s morphed into retirement communities looking to attract folks from up north. And as such, they put in swimming pools, clubhouses, and and other amenities. The the, the classic is a swimming pool, pool, a clubhouse, tennis court, and a shuffleboard court. That's your classic Florida manufactured (laughs) home park. (laughs) And now pickleball. (laughs) uh, Only recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so long ago, they morphed out of the, this is the affordable housing in the community trailer park vogue to basically being a hidden gem in retirement. Now, around 1994, a company called ELS, Equity Lifestyle Properties, whose owner Sam Zell is relatively famous, some of their executives came down to Florida, went back to Sam, who's a big real estate developer in Chicago, said, Sam, you won't believe these places. We've got to buy them. And he was the first to start buying up these retirement gems. Oh, wow. wow. Because it used to be you could come to Florida and easily afford these communities on a single social security income. In the 90s, 80s and 90s, the price of the communities went up to compete. While some people were grandfathered in, and to this day, there are many living on 800 or 1,000 a month who live in these communities, but they have lifetime lot rent agreements Uh from many years ago that are still honored and, and have to be honored under law by the new buyers. Today, these communities are retirement communities in every sense, and they're priced accordingly. So you need an income, combined income, household income of probably on the order of 2000 a month or more to come to these communities. Mm-hmm. The rest of the country still has what most people will call trailer parks. Many of them have morphed into beautiful manufactured home communities, which are also much more expensive and should not be called trailer parks or mobile home parks. Some are still trailer parks. In Florida, we have trailer parks too, but don't confuse them. So on my job as my uh, as a board member on the National Manufactured Homeowners Association, I often see the problems encountered by low-income housing folks in these communities. I kind of remark that, well, that's sad and unfortunate. And I love, you know, I want to help these people. But those problems don't exist in Florida retirement communities. They've long ago gone from the affordable housing to retirement communities. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, also, I think the phrase trailer park has such a negative 
yeah. connotation. And I know some of it is semantics, but you know, many of us have grown up and seen trailer parks and some of them are not attractive. So you're right. You know, we have to make sure that we know the difference, but also, you know, help when we can. Some of these folks in these trailer parks, you know, just making do. Right. Well, mobile home communities around the country are often the last source of unsubsidized affordable housing for working class people. And that's very common. And we have mobile home communities of that nature in Florida. But don't confuse them with the 200 plus lot lease retirement communities, which most of your uh, listeners will be interested in. Yeah, yeah. But I'll let you in on a secret and you can decide whether to air it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah. Drum roll. Back in the day when these were all known as trailer parks and mobile home parks, and grandma and grandpa came down to Florida and bought a place, it was a little embarrassing to write home to the kids who would write back and say, grandma and grandpa are living in a mobile home park? They're in a trailer park. I thought they could afford better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the industry recognized that they couldn't charge much for these places if that was their look and their reputation. Mm -hmm. And so everyone went on this big kick to call them manufactured home parks or manufactured home communities. Ah, okay. And even at the federal level around 1978, federal law was changed from calling them mobile homes to manufactured homes. So in federal statutes, that's what they have to be called. Oh, okay, okay. So the real reason the park prices went up is because they changed from calling them mobile home parks to manufactured home communities. (laughs) And that drove out everybody who could afford them. Oh my God. That's so funny. Well, you know, because obviously when you think of mobile, you think it's up and going and kind of a different kind of people, right? So uh, you don't think of a community, you think of a transient maybe. Yeah, no, we've seen a lot of these places. Yeah. in, In many states, mobile homes are still mobile and mobile home parks Pennsylvania is a great example, exist where you bring your mobile home in, you have a basically a lease agreement with the park owner, month by month lease, that sort of thing. You leave the, the stuff right on it. And if you don't like it, you move to another mobile home park. They raise the rent too high, you move. That's not uncommon in other parts of the country. Yeah. It's very rare in Florida. Huh. Okay. Very interesting. Well, this has been so educational. It'll be I fun think... to see what you edit out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not not no, much. No, you no. were great. No, I don't know that we'll be editing much out. I mean, yeah, I think this was really educational. And I think many people around the world will find this interesting. I great. mean, we want to save Gene and I on our own home. Um, we, we do want to be away from people a little. <laughs> and so definitely have learned a lot from you. We will add the links to all your information because your website is incredible. I mean, I was on it for quite some time and I kept delving into it and into it and into it. And I said, wow, you do save money. You could buy the home that you want, design it the way you want, but do it this way. And, so thank you. And as a reminder to our guest, Russell Watson's book is Retirement in Florida, Manufactured Homes and the Land Lease Option, Things to Consider. This is the man Folks, this is the man who knows all of this. And I guarantee you, when you go to his website, you're not going to leave for quite a bit. Thanks, Russ. Thank you so much. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you all. Okay, take care. And and if you do go to my website uh, to answer your question about homes, just click on Clayton Homes, Cavalier Homes, and Cavco Homes and the manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And look at some of the brochures. Mm-hmm. Both going to be looking at each other going, all we need now is the land. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank if you're you. Thinking of Florida, watch my video on lo- called location, location, location. I yeah. talk a lot about choosing what part of Florida you might like to be in. Right. He's got a whole bunch of videos. Like there's one on Punta Gorda, Vero Beach, I think. Right. And you have one in every one of these areas. Well, I, I'm just starting in areas. It's actually the interesting part about doing YouTube videos is your the things that you think people ought to know and want to know, nobody wants to know. They need to know them, but they don't want to know them and they aren't looking for them. Like what's what's a prospectus? What's a lot rent agreement? Oh, okay. Right, right, so, right. So I, what I did is I made about half my videos or I made a whole foundation of videos mm-hmm. that when you get real serious and want to look into this, 
you need to go look at these videos, like where location, mm-hmm. lot rent agreements, what's a resident-owned community, and so on. Right. But they're not particularly popular. Huh. Then I make popular videos because what you want to look at is a jazzy home, right? The sexy swimming pool, yeah, yeah, a yeah. Sexy clubhouse. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I make those videos. Those videos bring people in. And then when they go, okay, what's the nuts and bolts? What do I need to know about it? Yeah. I'm, I'm getting ready to push the button here. Right. How do I choose a community? All this, the reference stuff is on the website and in these other videos. No, I mean, you know, if, if you want one of these sexy places, you got to be able to know how to, how to get it and how to maintain it and what the costs are. So that's no joke, but well, you're right. I told you the most important two things to look at looking at any of these communities, and you might want to add this in is the bulletin board and the general condition of the clubhouse. So when you go into a clubhouse and it looks like a dentist's office, it's got these beautiful prints, sculptures, and everything is just perfectly so. You got to be thinking there's not much of a community here. This is like a hotel. Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. When you go into a clubhouse and you see quilts on the wall with little notes, return to Sarah, return to Joan, (laughs) and you see a bulletin board covered with Winners in the latest bocce tournament, latest golf hole-in-ones, and maybe a little dishevelment and a kitchen that's obviously used. That's a community. That's a community. Ah, Very interesting. Excellent. Good golden nuggets there. Check out those bulletin boards. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Go to the bulletin boards. See who's signing up for what. Because (laughs) if if there's no sign-up sheets, if there's just an activity list, you got no idea if that's three people playing golf or 50. That's like Club Med, Gene. <laughs> oh, okay, Russ. Take right. care. Thank Have you a so great bye. weekend. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you know someone who's relocated for retirement and wishes to share their story with us, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is gg at retirethere.com. Our website is retirethere.com. And you may follow us on Twitter at RetireThere underscore. Now, if you've liked our show, please subscribe and rate it in Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, be well. Be well.